Hey everybody, this is Matt and welcome to another Overflow Pod. This week I happened to look over some old notes on my computer that I had written years ago. And it was talking about my kids, so I said, oh, I should read this. And I checked it out and then I read it. And the note read, this past week I was playing with Darren. I looked at the date, it was when he was about five years old. And I, and I wrote, he says to me, I love you, Daddy, I'm so happy. About 20 minutes goes by and he comes running in crying. I asked him what's wrong. And he says, I'm mad. <laughs> I said, well, what happened? Adrian hurt me. I said, you're not happy anymore? He said, no. I said, did all the happiness leak out of your heart? And he said, yeah, Adriana put a hole in it. It's quite easy to have a hole or spring a leak in your heart. You can be happy one minute and you get a phone call or someone cuts you off in traffic or someone says something about you and bam, happiness all gone just evaporates or drains away. We started a few weeks ago looking at the book of Philippians and the habits of happiness. And this week we continue this series and see how to keep our hearts happy by performing five exercises or habits that we spring a leak in. We're going to be looking at Philippians 2, 12 to 18. And in this key section, the first two verses are very important. It says, therefore, my dear brother, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The key words are work out and work in. You see, in your life, God has a part and you have a part in your spiritual growth. God's part is to work in you to work in your salvation, and your part is to work it out. Now, what does it mean to work out your salvation? Notice it doesn't say to work for your salvation. There's a big difference. You can't work for your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. You can't buy your salvation. You can't deserve your salvation. So it doesn't say work for, like work real hard and then you'll be saved. No, 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 no. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. You see, Jesus died on a cross for us as a substitute and bore the penalty for our sins, and we didn't do anything for it. It was all by grace. We simply accept the gift that Jesus has done, and it's over. I can't work to add anything to what Jesus done. He did it all. So you can't work for your salvation, he says you're to work it out. Work out what God works in you. So God works in the salvation and you work it out. And when you work out a puzzle, think about it. When you work out a puzzle, did you create the puzzle? No, it was already created. What's the working out of a puzzle? Well, you're putting it together. But someone had already put it together and then broke it apart and made it and said, okay, I want you to work in it, work this puzzle out. You know, my family and I, years ago, we did one puzzle in our lives, and it was this Walt Disney World puzzle. It was like a thousand pieces, I think. It was so colorful. It was like a puzzle of all their attractions, and it was wonderful. And until we finished it all out, it, it took a lot of effort. I didn't add much to it at all. I think I might have put two pieces together, and then my kids and my wife did the rest. But we didn't make the puzzle, but we put it together. And we said, we did the puzzle. We just simply worked it out. What the creator of the puzzle already worked it in. 
So like when you go work out at the gym, and I'm sure you do that a lot, right? <laughs> we, we don't work muscle that's not already there. We work the muscle that's already there. God already gave us the muscle. We simply strengthen it and enlarge it. If the muscle is, doesn't exist, you can't just create it. You can only strengthen and enlarge the muscle God gave you. But when you go to a workout, you know, you're we're just weak. So as we work the muscles out, they get stronger. So that's what we have to do. We have to exercise. We have to work out what God has already worked in us. We have to have the right habits. So that's the key. We're to work out what God works in. And in this passage that we just read, we have Paul's workout strategy. And he gives us five ways or five exercises for a happy heart. And the first exercise to maintain a happy heart really combats fear. Because fear is one of the primary reasons we lose our happiness. You can't be afraid and happy at the same time. You just can't. When we're afraid, when fear comes to the front door, happiness goes out the back. And happiness stays gone until fear is long gone. So you got to get rid of fear. And one of the biggest fears we have is the fear of being abandoned. And to combat those fears, we need this first exercise or habit. Number one, remember that God is with me. He's in me and he's for me. That's verse 2.13 says, or Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is very important to me because in my life, I've had times when I felt utterly alone. I felt abandoned. I was kicked out of my house. I was homeless for a while, sleeping in a park with no blankets, just the clothes on my back. And of course, I only had shorts and it was in the middle of the night. Now I had a jacket in the fall. It was a week before Thanksgiving and I'm sleeping in the park and it was cold. And I used the wrapper to wrap around my legs and I laid in a park and I used the mulch to cover up my arms, my chest and my legs. So I was buried in mulch to keep myself warm as bugs crawled all over me. And I realized that that was not a good idea to carry your, to cover yourself in mulch. It kept me warm, but, you know, feeling all the ants and all the other critters crawling all over me kind of freaked me out. So after about 20, about two minutes in to my warmth, I had to get rid of it and ended up sleeping on a playground. And it was the best I could do at the time. And I remember I was freezing. Now, the good thing is I was only 18. I was healthy. So I went to McDonald's and I didn't have much money. So I spent a dollar and I got a biscuit only with lots of extra jelly and a hot tea. The hot tea had free refills. I got about eight. (laughs) And for one dollar, I ate a biscuit only and a hot tea. And that was what I ate that first day, bread and water. That's why one of my, but I remember thinking that time when I was laying there and the bugs are crawling over, still bothering me. And the only good thing was it was so cold that there was no mosquitoes. I was thinking, God, are you there? Are you with me? And I just had a sense of security that he was there. That's why one of my most favorite verses in the Bible is Joshua 1.5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need to understand that God is with me and he's for me. So no matter what difficulty we go through in life, no matter how bad we feel, no matter how life has just trashed us, or we think it's unfair, or we're going through pain, or we're going through difficult times, and we all will because life is suffering, 
we got to remember that God is with you. Second habit or exercise to maintain a happy heart is be grateful and never grumble. The fights, the second cause of our lack of happiness, fretting and fighting over the small stuff. You ever do that? We all do, right? We all sweat the small stuff. We excuse ourselves for our for all the mistakes we make and we accuse everybody else for the mistakes. This last week as I dropped Adriana off at the bus stop, she asked me for something and it was impossible. And I responded with, are you crazy? No way. Then I went further and said, why would you even think about asking for that? So needless to say, she left this, She left for school, slammed the door, very angry at me. She even told me, I'm mad at you. <laughs> I just shook my head as I wish you would grow up. Then after I got home and I thought about it, I realized that the problem was not that she asked me, but how I responded to it. It was all my fault. I was putting unrealistic expectations on her. I wanted her to act as an adult, but she's a teenager, and hence I should expect her to act like one. What's wrong with asking for unrealistic things? Nothing. The difficulty is because she's growing up, she acts like an adult a lot of the time. And as a parent, you can say, oh, she's doing it here, then we should expect it everywhere. No, no, that's not realistic. I could have handled it so much better. And as I talked this out, it seems like I acted like the teenager instead of the parent. She asked politely and responsibly, and I responded poorly. Many times as parents, we're still growing up ourselves. We, By the time we have this parenting thing figured out, their grandkids come along. But then it's too late. <laughs> so we have to learn ourselves. But we excuse ourselves and blame others. So many times parents look at their kids and blame the kids for everything. When sometimes it's like, you know what? I encourage that behavior. We got to take ownership as well. We blame others for the problems in our lives. We say, if I had just had a different husband, then I'd be happy. If I had just never gotten married, then I'd be happy. If I just had children, I'd be happy. If my children would leave home, I'd be happy. This is a hard habit to break because we're negative by nature and we're conditioned by our culture. And ever since Adam and Eve existed, we've been going around excusing and accusing and throwing blame at everybody except for ourselves. You'll never see blame cast in the political circles. They always blame everybody else. No one ever takes ownership. Even though everybody usually does something wrong all the time. Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Would you agree with that? Do everything without complaining or arguing so that nobody can speak a word of blame against you. Wow. This week I sat down and I wrote a list of the type of complainers I run into. I didn't put names down. I just put their description. So maybe you can see this. <laughs> First, we have the whiners. You got any whiners in your life? They complain. They rise in the morning. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. I may rise, but I refuse to shine. <laughs> That's what a whiner does. They wake up negative. People used to ask my friend, do you wake up grouchy? He said, no, nah, I, I usually let her sleep. <laughs> Again, this is a choice. You can get up in the morning. You can say, good morning, Lord, or you can go, good Lord, it's morning. Same words, different meaning. Second, martyrs. Their favorite expression is, nobody appreciates me. They are pros at throwing pity parties. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. 
makes me, I, I remember that the silly old joke about the hypochondriac that had put on their tombstone, I told you I was sick. <laughs> she was a martyr. Maybe it was a he. How do you react when you don't get your way? Do you pout? Do you mount a campaign or complain? Do you continue to fuss and argue and complain to mom? But mom, they're whiners and they're martyrs. Then you have the third kind of complainer, the cynic. The cynic take a different approach. Their approach is, why bother? Why try? It isn't going to make any difference. They kind of just poison everything. It's like the lady who walked into the seafood restaurant. And she said to the lady, sir, do you serve crabs here? He said, ma'am, we serve everybody. <laughs> Fourth are the perfectionists. Nothing is ever good enough for them. Everything's not quite where to be. They're unpleasable. Their favorite phrase is, is that the best you can do? If you got C's, the perfectionists want you to get B's. If you get B's, they want you to get A's. If you get A's, you should get straight A's. If you get straight A's, you can be perfect. One of the scariest verses in the Bible, Matthew 12, 36, says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. How many times have I complained or grumbled and argued about something when I shouldn't have been sweating the small stuff? Don't sweat the small stuff is like the number one law of life. And law number two is everything is small stuff. Well, most of it is. I'm pretty sure everything is. Do you think you'd be happier if you followed the second exercise every day? You, that you grumbled less and were more grateful? You didn't get upset about the traffic caused by that accident? You were grateful that it wasn't you in that accident? You're grateful that that accident didn't take any lives? It just inconvenienced everybody? Grumble less and be more grateful. It's not rocket science here. It's not calculus. But if you want to have a happy heart, do what God's word says. And the first thing is to remember is that God is always with me. That makes me happy. That I should be grateful and not grumble, not complaining or arguing. Grateful what I have, not what I don't have. Then the third exercise to maintain a happy heart is to keep my conscience clear. Philippians 2.15 says, so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine like them, like stars in the sky. So what a beautiful image. That you live such a clean life. Such a life of integrity, of purity, of clear conscience. It's like a jeweler will always put diamonds on black velvet. Why? Because they shine brighter against that backdrop than any other cloth that they can bring out. And as the world and the culture becomes more dark... As culture crumbles, Christians have to shine brighter and brighter. So here's the third exercise to maintain a happy heart, and that's to keep a clear conscience. Now, what does that mean on a practical level? It means you got to keep short accounts with God. That means at the beginning of every day, I do a spiritual inventory and I say, God, is there anything between me and you? I'm not going to bed tonight with junk. I had some garbage today and I picked up some bad habits. I had some bad reactions, things I did. I'm not going to climb in bed tonight with this sack of garbage and get up with it in the morning and carry it off again. No, I'm going to deal with it. I, that's what I do with my wife. There is never a night that I go to bed where there is unconfessed uh, difficulty between the two of us. If I've done something wrong, I need to I need to apologize, work it out. That was a commitment I had before marriage. And it was the best commitment I ever had. We can also apply it to God. You know, 
you got to practice what's called spiritual breathing. You breathe out your sins in confession and you breathe in God's power and cleansing. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's God's promise in his word. You ever keep dirty dishes in your sink too long? I know I do. I don't empty the trash underneath the sink either. Nothing will stink your kitchen up faster than stale milk in the sink or stale garbage. You got to get rid of that stuff to keep your kitchen fresh. And we need to do the same spiritually. We need to take out the spiritual garbage every day if you can. And you do that, you'll have a happier, healthier heart. You have confession to God every day and you get cleansing and forgiveness and you'll have a clear conscience. Fourth exercise or habit you need to maintain a happy heart is memorize God's word and live in it. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Because worry is when you take a negative thought and you think about it over and over and over. That's worry. When you take a passage of scripture and you think about it over and over and over, meditation. God's promised many wonderful benefits in your life. If you will meditate on the word of God, then do it. Philippians 2.16 says, As you hold firmly to the word of life, then I will be able to boost on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. I remember just a couple weeks ago, I was getting mad at something and my daughter used a Bible verse to tell me not to be angry. You know how embarrassing that is when your kids correct you over something? That's like one of the worst feelings for a parent, especially when it's instant. It's it's bad enough when you realize that later after the fact, when, after the situation is over. But if you're in the situation and your kid corrects you and they're right and you instantly know it. Oh, that's painful. But you know, you got to hold tightly to God's word and you get a good grip on it. And by getting a good grip on it, then. Maybe these things wouldn't happen, right? If you don't have a good grip on God's word, unless you're doing all these habits of hearing it, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating it, then it can't be pulled out at the right time. When my kid pulled it out, I was like, man, I don't know my Bible enough. I'm not meditating on it enough. Hold tightly, the Bible says, to the word of God. Now, why, do we, why should we do that? Isn't the Bible an outdated book? I mean, we don't need to read all those things. They're not really, you know, we don't need to read the Old Testament. Well, listen to this from the Old Testament. Psalm 119, 16 says, Your principles make me happy, so I never forget your word. Do you want to be happy? Obviously you do. God's principles make us happy. How do I remember God's principles? Never forget and memorize all of God's word. Fourth, actually, maintain a happy heart by memorizing God's word and living in it. It's not hard. It's just a choice that you have to make. The fifth exercise in Paul's workout for a happy heart is use my life to serve God by serving others. Philippians 2, 17 and 18 says, But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, how does this bring happiness in my life? Because God wired the universe that happiness does not come from status. I know tons of people who have status who aren't happy. It doesn't come from your salary. Plenty of wealthy people aren't happy. 
It doesn't come from your status, your salary. It doesn't come from sex. It doesn't come from success. It comes from service. God wired the universe that you are the most happy when you're giving your life away. Why? Because he wants us to become like him. It's all about love. So the more I give my life away, the more I serve others, and the more I serve God by serving others, the happier I'm going to be because we're supposed to model our life to follow Jesus. And that's what he did for us. He gave away everything for us. His whole life was about other people. His whole life was about service culminating in the ultimate service where he provided a way out, salvation for us by dying on a cross. See, is your heart growing more generous every year? Are you more generous with your resources this year than you were a year ago? And were you more generous this year than you were the year before? Or are you stuck at the same level of generosity and wondering why you're stuck at being unhappy? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You're happier. There's more happiness in giving than in receiving. And Jesus says, my giving reveals the condition of my heart. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. So it not only reveals my giving reveals how happy my heart is, giving also increases the happiness of my heart. It's an attitude, an exercise that causes us to be happier. It's not an accident. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. The word miserable comes from the word miser. <laughs> the more miserly I am, mine, 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 <laughs> you're going to hold on to it tightly and you're going to be miserable. So before you begin these exercises, these five workouts that Paul gives us for happiness in your heart, you know, we know this from science. Every time before you start an exercise room, there's a first thing you got to do is check with your doctor about any pre-existing condition, right? So before attempting this, every diet book, every exercise book ever says, check with your doctor. I think they do that for lawyer reasons, but about any pre-existing pre condition because you might have a heart problem. And I'll tell you right now, spiritually, you do have a heart problem. You got a coronary disease and it's called sin. We all have a heart problem. That's why before we do these exercises, you got to have your heart healed. We need Dr. Jesus, if I may put it so crassly. He even makes house calls. So whether it's the first visit or follow-up, there's no wait. And he will listen. You just call out to him and pour out all your pain, your problems, your symptoms. And he will forgive you. And your heart will be ready to begin those five exercises. So number one, remember God is with you. Number two, be grateful and never grumble. Number three, Keep my conscience clear by confessing to God. Number four, memorize God's word. And number five, serve others, not just ourselves. And I promise if you do these, your heart will be happy. And you will not have that hole in your heart that causes your happiness to leak out of it. So, God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.